Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Ajo Way, a podcast presented by the faculty and trainees at the University of Arizona Internal Medicine Residency Program at South Campus. Each episode, we will delve into the evidence-based, patient-centered practice of ambulatory medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Indu Partha, a board-certified general internist with a passion for primary care and medical education. Today, we are going to discuss a topic that is pretty much the bread and butter of any primary care clinic, hypertension. It's time to get back to the basics. So uh, one of the things I do want to let you guys know is that many of the diet, there are many guidelines and the ones I'm working off today are the 2019 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines. So I think today our objectives will be uh, multifold. We'd like to define what hypertension is, go over goals of treatment, talk about unique considerations, review interventions, and also, of course, review the guidelines. So first and foremost, let's get started. How do we categorize high blood pressure or just blood pressure in general? Generally speaking, normal blood pressure is considered systolic blood pressure less than 120 and diastolic blood pressure less than 80. The next category is elevated blood pressure, which you might be surprised to know is actually a systolic blood pressure range between 120 to 129, which many people right now would consider normal blood pressure for themselves and a diastolic blood pressure less than 80. Stage one hypertension uh, is systolic range of 130 to 180, 139 and diastolic blood pressure of 80 to 89. Stage two hypertension um, shows the blood pressure systolic of being greater than or equal to 140 and a diastolic blood pressure of greater than or equal to 90. And a diagnosis of hypertension then can be made if there are two or more abnormal readings of blood pressure on two separate occasions. So where can things go wrong in the measurement or assessment of a patient's blood pressure? Well, errors mostly bias blood pressure readings up, and this leads to an overdiagnosis of hypertension, believe it or not. And for patients on medications, they uh, then may be overtreated as we, as their healthcare providers, underestimate the degree of blood pressure lowering. So this is something to to keep in mind as we see our patients in the uh, outpatient clinics. So when should we treat? Of course, it's one thing to be able to qualify slash quantify a patient's blood pressure, but we want to then decide who do we need to intervene on? Who do we need to treat? So keep in mind that most patients with stage one hypertension, which again is the blood pressure range of 130 to 139 systolic, 80 to 89 diastolic, don't actually qualify for treatment. But if the blood pressure is greater than or equal to 130 over 80 and they have high risk risk factors, it is recommended that we start treatment. If there are no high risk risk factors, then really our threshold to start treatment would be a blood pressure of greater than or equal to. 140 or 90. So what are those high risk risk factors you might ask? Um, well, things to think about are patients who are 65 years and older, 
those who have a greater than or equal to 10% 10-year ASCVD risk on calculation, um, those with peripheral arterial disease, HFPEF or HFREF, diabetes, CKD, um, cardiovascular disease, or who are status post-arenal transplant. And the goals for therapy are generally a target of less than 130 over 80 in most individuals. Um, the target systolic blood pressure is less than 130 in adults over the age of 65. And there actually is not a formal recommendation made for a diastolic blood pressure target. And then we want to treat with two drugs when the blood pressure is greater than or equal, greater than, I'm sorry, 20 systolic or 10 diastolic millimeters of mercury above the goal. Now, this is a little bit um, in opposition or in contrast to recommendations made in the SPRINT trial, which many of you are familiar with. Um, which had noted a significant decreased um, number of cardiovascular disease events, all-cause mortality, and decrease in mild cognitive impairment with intense blood pressure lowering. And what they um, were targeting for was a systolic blood pressure less than 120 versus less than 140. Um, the issue to remember here is they had an unattended blood pressure um, reading, which meant that there wasn't a medical assistant or a healthcare professional taking this blood pressure. And there were uh, a strict device and measurement protocol, which obviously is not usually followed in the clinic where the patient is just called back and the medical assistant or the nurse or other healthcare professional um, just takes their patient's blood pressure without any um, formal observation or instruction. So there are right ways to measure blood pressure. And these are things you need to keep in mind. You do not want to be talking and the patient should not be talking. You want to make sure that the cuff bladder is totally emptied. You want to ensure you have the correct cuff size for your patient. The patient's arm needs to be supported at heart level. The patient's leg should be uncrossed and the patient's back should be supported against some type of backrest, whether on the exam table or on a chair. And the feet also need to be supported, meaning they should be solidly planted on the floor or a step or step stool, et cetera. There are things to consider, um, white coat hypertension and what might be the opposite of that, which is masked hypertension. So white coat, white coat hypertension is when Office blood pressure readings are greater than or equal to 130 over 80, but out of the office, the blood pressure is less than 130 over 80. And this is something that um, continues to be noted even after three months of diet or lifestyle changes. Masked hypertension uh, on the other side is the opposite of white coat hypertension. And this is when the blood pressure is elevated at home, but under control, quote unquote, in the office. And this is most often caused by poor at-home measurement, a device that's not reading correctly. So it's very important when you are following your patients and depending on their home blood pressure readings to ensure that you have um, a couple of visits where you encourage the patient to bring their own blood pressure cuff in for comparison against the 
blood pressure cuff in the clinic. So as to ensure that you are comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. It can sometimes be confusing as to which type of blood pressure agent to um, choose when you are um, starting a blood pressure medication after deciding that your patient needs one. And in general terms, first line choices are going to be calcium channel blockers, thiazides, ACE inhibitors, or angiotensin receptor blocker agents. But if the patient does have any comorbidities, this can help direct the choice of medication. There are some unique populations and we'll um, go over those starting with older adults. So things to keep in mind with the older adult, again, is that the target systolic blood pressure is less than 130, but there is no target diastolic blood pressure. The ACC and the AHA actually recommend checking orthostatics at the first visit um, because most patients who have orthostatic hypotension, which again, to remind you all is defined as a greater than or equal to 20 over 10 millimeter mercury fall after two to three minutes of standing don't actually report symptoms. And then most with symptoms suggestive of a fall in blood pressure with standing actually have negative orthostatic measurements in the clinic. So it may be very worthwhile in your older patients over 65 to consider using a standing blood pressure as the measurement to follow on a consistent basis and just have your um, office staff measure your patient's blood pressure uh, while they're standing before they are seated at the um, bedside chair or on the examination table. So how about race? Uh, are there any um, things to keep in mind when you are treating members of different racial backgrounds? The only racial reference um, in the ACC AHA guidelines are actually to the African-American population. And if your black patients have no history of heart failure or CKD, and there is no reason to prescribe two different drugs, you want to start with a thiazide or a calcium channel blocker, which are most impactful in treating uh, black patients elevated blood pressure. However, if the patient does have heart failure or CKD, you do want to start with a RAS blocker drug while understanding and accepting that you're going to have less blood pressure lowering than with a thiazide or a calcium channel blocker. A key learning point to keep in mind, again, in another um, unique patient population is the most common cause of persistent um, renovascular hypertension in an asymptomatic young woman whose thyroid function, electrolyte levels, inflammatory markers, and kidney function are all normal is fibromuscular dysplasia. And a patient with new onset episodic severe hypertension that's associated with an acute cardiomyopathy with apical dyskinesis and preserved function at the base should be associated, I mean, evaluated for a pheochromocytoma and an associated catecholamine-induced cardiomyopathy, which then leads us to our next topic of secondary hypertension. When do you want to consider secondary causes of hypertension? 
um, things to keep in mind are when your patient's symptoms are suggestive of obstructive sleep apnea, when your patient has an abrupt onset of hypertension, when hypertension onset is less than 30 years old, when you have suddenly lost control of the blood pressure, um, and when a patient is using blood pressure raising drugs such as NSAIDs, amphetamines, or immunosuppressants. The term resistant hypertension refers to a patient who is on three to four antihypertensives. One is a diuretic and the blood pressure is still above goal, or they are on four antihypertensive treatments uh, with one being a diuretic, but the blood pressure is at goal. Refractory hypertension is when you have five or more drugs, including a diuretic and the blood pressure is greater than goal. You also want to consider secondary hypertension when you have unprovoked or excessive hypokalemia, or when there is an onset of diastolic hypertension in an adult over the age of 65. What else can you recommend for your patients other than uh, medication? Uh, of course, that would be lifestyle and diet recommendations. And a lot of times I think we just vaguely say, oh yeah, we recommended they make some diet and lifestyle changes without actually getting into the details of what we're recommending for them. Um, so things to consider would be actually specifically telling your patients, um, consume less than 1500 milligrams of sodium per day. And if they're unable to make that specific um, change, you can at least have them reduce their sodium consumption by a thousand milligrams per day. Potassium consumption should be 3,500 to 5,000 milligrams per day. You do want to recommend that they promote weight loss. And it's useful also to give them a physical activity prescription, um, encouraging your patients to get aerobic or dynamic resistance of 90 to 150 minutes per week and isometric resistance of three sessions per week. Practically speaking, what else can you do to improve your care of patients with hypertension? Keep in mind that nurse visits can help move your patients forward. You want to include in your notes that you have advised your patient of their gold blood pressure, document that. And then when they come back to see the nurse, you want to have a plan um, clearly documented. If the patient's blood pressure is above a certain range, then please initiate XYZ medication. Just so whoever is covering for you, whether it's the physician of the day or the nurse has been authorized to do that, they know what to prescribe the patient next. And then you do want to make sure you do have a follow-up um, with you in place. So they have the ongoing uh, follow-up with their PCP. Remember that history matters. You cannot really counsel on diet and lifestyle if you have not asked specifically about diet and lifestyle. You want to make sure you get a complete social history. What are they eating? What is their exercise pattern? What are the obstacles that they face in terms of eating a more balanced diet or getting exercise? What are their sleep habits? Are they at risk for sleep apnea? What are the stressors in the patient's life? It's important to recognize that there's a lot of guideline discordance when treating um, high blood pressure. 
For instance, the ACP and AAFP recommend that if a patient is greater than or equal to um, 60 years old, you want to initiate medications for a treatment goal of a systolic blood pressure of greater than 150. The American Heart Association um, does not have a preference between thiazides and other thiazide-like medications. The AHA scientific statement on resistant hypertension, however, does state that chlorthalidone or indapamide is going to be preferable to hydrochlorothiazide, um, that chlorothalidone lowers blood pressure more effectively, especially at night, and you have better cardiovascular disease risk reduction. And it's important internationally to recognize that um, providers in other countries are going to follow different guidelines. Canadian guidelines, European guidelines are also different. There was a Hygieia chronotherapy trial, which looked at treating um, patients' blood pressure with medications at night. And they found that taking one or more antihypertensives at bedtime rather than in the morning led to better ambulatory blood pressure control. It enhanced the decrease in blood pressure while asleep, and it increased the blood pressure dip at night. That dip, of course, in blood pressure at night is physiologic and is associated with better health outcomes. Patients who genetically do not have that um, physiologic dip in blood pressure at night are at higher risk for um, health events. And there was a decreased occurrence of cardiovascular disease, death, MI, CHF, um, CVA, or need for coronary revascularization when patients took their antihypertensives um, in the evening. Another thing to um, keep in mind is, of course, there are going to be the patient's blood whose blood pressures are very much, you know, out of control. Um, when you're on the inpatient side, having someone with more of a hypertensive emergency, signs of acute heart failure, you may reach for something like intravenous nitroglycerin, which is going to be your first choice. However, if you're in the clinic and you have a patient whose blood pressure is out of control, for instance, 200 over 110, for instance, you're going to have a different triage method. Um, one of the biggest things to keep in mind is that you need to address if they are having any end organ symptoms, um, end organ failure signs, you need to move the patient quickly into the emergency department. Is this just a matter of observing them in the clinic for a little bit? Do you want to give them a PRN medication that you have in the clinic and then send them home with an altered um, regimen and medications? And do keep in mind that out of control blood pressure on the outpatient side leads to out of control blood pressure on the inpatient side. So when you are on the inpatient side and you get called as a cross cover for elevated blood pressure, um, remember that most of these calls will be for asymptomatic patients who are now suddenly having their blood pressure checked 
multiple times a day. This doesn't happen in real life. And you're likely just recognizing uncontrolled blood pressure at baseline, which now that they're in the hospital and having regular vitals um, checked, we are outing, if you will, the blood pressure that has never been under control. So what can you um, do in that moment? You want to address their outpatient regimen. You don't need to give IV medications, PRN for asymptomatic high blood pressure readings. More advisable is asking your admitted patients, what your, is your blood pressure usually like at home? sensing what um, the difference or not of this high blood pressure in the hospital is from their outpatient blood pressures, and then recognizing if you need to make a change in their blood pressure medication regimen. It's a pretty complex, but very consistently um, used skill to manage high blood pressure, whether it's in the clinic or you take those skills into the hospital. So do keep in mind what your patient's blood pressure goals are. Make sure you're checking their blood pressure in the proper way. Should they be standing? Do they need to bring their home blood pressure cuff in? Recognize what their outpatient pattern is when you're taking care of them as inpatients and recognize which medications are going to be most appropriate for which underlying comorbidities. And lastly, keep in mind that secondary hypertension may be at play, know what questions to ask, know what changes to look for, and how to intervene in those situations. It has been a pleasure speaking to you all today again. Um, I am really very appreciative of all of you tuning in and I'm very grateful for your support. Would absolutely love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so that others can find us. And we would love it if you would just share your, our podcast with a friend, a colleague through social media, word of mouth. Um, we can be found on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we look forward to you joining us the next time here on the Aho Way, where primary care is primary. This podcast was produced by Ajay Partha. The opinions expressed on this show are those of the featured speakers and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of their places of employment. The opinions expressed on this podcast are meant for entertainment and education and should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition, nor should they be qualified, board-certified, practicing clinician.